The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's eight minutes after eight and you're listening to the Forum at Eight here on SAFM. And thank you so much for tuning in this morning. Now, this year, South Africa celebrates 20 years of democracy. This significant milestone has presented us with an opportunity to reflect on our democracy as well as the Constitution, which was signed into law by former President Nelson Mandela. The Constitution lays the basis for the construction of a democratic, non-racial, non-sexist, united and prosperous society based on justice, equality, the rule of law and the inalienable human rights of all of us. Over the years, however, points of contention in the Constitution, such as the issues of land and majority rights, have arisen. And on the Forum at 8 this morning, we ask, does the South African Constitution reflect us as a people? And should the Constitution encompass all of us? as some of us are asking for, or should it just reflect the will of the majority of South Africans? And joining us for this conversation, uh, Professor Somadota Fikeni, political and policy analyst, uh, speaking to us on the line from Pretoria. Good morning, uh, Dr. Fikeni. Good morning to you, Sakina, and good morning to all your listeners. And Jay Naidu uh, joining us here in studio. Thanks for coming through. Hi, Sakina. It's great to be here on your show. Now, obviously, the issue of the Constitution, and there's so much, so much to talk about, but uh, we know we're not going to get through all of it, but let's just touch on some of the more salient aspects of it. When we talk about the Constitution, Professor Fikeni, what is it? What is its purpose? What is it meant to be and to do for a country? The main purpose of a Constitution is that it is a foundation document for all the policies, the values of any country and as such the laws have to be made within the confines of that constitution for anything unconstitutional would then be reversed to conform to that and it is also meant to be a very stable uh, set of principles and policies that it doesn't change as regularly as the legislations do and it defines the identity and the essence of the nation And that is the important bit, defining the identity and essence of the nation. Now, if we were to break that down, you know, what sort of elements would we be looking at? One of those would be the principles, uh, which are there, some of them being articulated in the preamble. Uh, Unity in diversity. In other words, there is a recognition that we're a diverse nation but that was striving towards being a united nation where you have a sense of South Africanness while still recognizing all kinds of diversity, not as a source of weakness, but as a source of strength. And also that means you turn around that which had been used negatively and you use it positively. The other part of these principles is the recognition of all the kinds of freedoms of expression, of association, and uh, the other part of this is a recognition which sometimes is seen in paradoxic terms of property rights at the same time recognizing the historical injustices which need redress all those are actually the kinds of things that the country is grappling with and in giving expression to diversity 
all the official languages plus the ones of the Khoisan uh, people are recognized and are to be promoted. Uh, but there are certain areas which I think it falls short. For example, the Chapter 12 on traditional leadership is just the shortest paragraph, and yet we know that traditional leadership as an institution pervades every other, especially rural areas, under its administration, and that has left people to crafting policies to come up with all kinds of things which are not articulated in the Constitution. So that is one weakness. The other weakness is that the emphasis on the human rights chapter, it tend to focus more on the first-generation human rights, the rights such as uh, freedoms that I explained. But it doesn't emphasize much and give obligation to the second-generation freedoms where the society giving a meaningful life in material terms to people. So those are the kinds of aspects which I can quickly highlight in the Constitution. But Mm. of course, it is more than that. And of course, looking at the Constitution, what it states, what it stands for, and uh, some of the um, weaknesses that Professor Fikeni has highlighted, it uh, then takes us to, you know, take a look back, a few steps back, Jay Naidu, and ask, you know, maybe we should take a look at the context uh, during which this particular constitution was drafted and how that impacted uh, on what we have today as our constitution. Well, I, I think that's very important and, uh, and uh, you know, in the context of what's just been said because this was a negotiated document. You know, in, in, in the late 80s, we had reached a political impasse the apartheid state could not rule us in the old way. And we ourselves had paralyzed it. But at the same time, we were not powerful enough to march in on tanks waving our ANC banners and take over. We had to have a political negotiation. The choices that faced us were very stark. We were on the brink of a racial civil war. Now, if you look around the world today, Look at what's happening in Syria or Gaza or Somalia or DRC or the Ukraine. I mean, these are countries that will take decades to recover. We had an opportunity to sit around the table and negotiate a peaceful settlement. That peaceful settlement is what is enshrined in this constitution. And that remains a political miracle. Now, is it a perfect document? Absolutely not. Should we be debating it? Absolutely yes. So I think we must understand that context. And, 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 you know, if we start to look at it now in in the context of what Somadota said, Mm. of what does it seek to do? It is fundamentally clear what it seeks to do. It to redress the injustices of the past to focus on the issue of equality, of human dignity, and human freedoms, and to give expression to that. Now, this is what the Constitution is saying to us. And it's saying this is a framework within which there should be the new policies, the new laws, the new programs, the way in which we use the wealth and assets of the nation to implement it. The question is, does the Constitution do that on its own? No, we have to do it. Who are we? Well, the people that are in power, political power, or whether they are in economic power, whether they are citizens, whether they are trade unions, 
whether they are women's organizations. All of us have to work together to give expression to these rights and make sure that these rights don't remain on a piece of paper. Because at a point, we made a fundamental choice about the South Africa that we wanted. And that was, I would say, complete and would unambiguously committing ourselves away from the notion of veto rights, of minority rights, to the principle of one person, one vote in a united, democratic, non-sexist, non-racial South Africa. That is the basic and the fundamental foundation of this constitution. And what about the popular will of the people being captured and expressed through the constitution? If there are instances where South Africans, for example, feel that the constitution really isn't you know, expressing our will, our wishes as a nation, what should be done in that instance? Well, you know, the popular will is a very important element of democracy, but it is not the only determinant of democracy. Just go back into our own history. You know, at a certain point in the ANC, we unilaterally declared a ceasefire of the armed struggle we had to face an enormous revolution of discontent and anger in our own rights. Because the will of the majority in the ANC at that point was that we are dying in our hundreds every week. We need guns rather than your unilateral cessation of the armed struggle. But it was a right political decision which created the basis for us to get into a negotiation and negotiate the end of apartheid. So there are times when the popular will is not the right thing. And what has been established globally is that the death penalty is not an appropriate form of of, uh, retribution or of uh, penalty Mm -hmm. for whatever has been done. That... But what if the people of South Africa say that we don't care about what the rest of the world is saying? We are saying, as South Africans, we feel that this is what we want our constitution to reflect. We want a death penalty for people who commit heinous crimes. They should be sent to the gallows. Well, I think this is where South Africa cannot be an island unto itself. There's a set of universal human principles and human rights in terms of, of, uh, of, of practice that has been established over many, many centuries. And the overwhelming consensus in terms of understanding democracy and human rights is that the death penalty is fundamentally anti-democratic and not consistent with our notion of human rights. The right of, of people to sexual orientation in the 21st century is a fundamental human right of every person. What the person chooses to do in their, pub, in, their, in their private bedrooms is their business if they are in love. It has nothing to do with the views of other people, no matter what the prejudices of the majority would be. These are some fundamental tenets of democracy that we have come to accept. And I think that at some point you've got to balance the will and feelings of the majority with the fact that there are some fundamental as uh, tenets of democracy that emerge out of practice. Professor Figeni, um, looking at the rights enshrined in the Constitution, what, I mean, of what value are those rights if we are unable 
to actually enforce them. When people are enshrined, you have this right enshrined in the Constitution, for example, that everybody has the right to use the language of their choice, participate in cultural uh, activities of their choice, have follow the religion of their choice, and all of these things, yet people are still persecuted and very little seems to be done to actually make sure that that right is upheld. I think a very important fundamental issue that uh, Mr. Naidu has raised is that a constitution in theory, as it looks, is one of the best documents we have. But it needs political will from government so that a ruling party is able to decisively implement in consultation, of course, with other parties what is in the Constitution without fear nor favor. Secondly, it needs the change of the balance of forces because if you have an economic majority which can use the hard power to frustrate anything, then you can't go too far. Thirdly, the ones who interpret uh, policies within the confines of the Constitution, the judiciary, ought to be transformed because it would make any sense if you have all these great principles but those who have to interpret them are not transformed and as a result every verdict will always come in favor of those who have the resources. Remember in South Africa up to this point justice is very expensive. If you don't have the resources you can't go all the way as a result If you are very rich, you get the best lawyers, you can keep justice at bay. And lastly, it is the civic activism that is very crucial uh, in this particular case so that they can put pressure and they can point towards the Constitution. Right now what is happening is that if you are Afri Forum or Solidarity, you tend to look for the chapters and the sections that agree with you. And if you are a trade union, you go for some sections that agree with you and so forth. And uh, as a result, it's only the balance of forces that determine the outlook. Let me give you one quick example. In the uh, interim constitution, the preamble had the word Ubuntu. But in the final constitution, this was kicked out. The reason? A numerical majority is a cultural minority and as such the same thing you see with the languages where you find that the two dominant languages have remained dominant let me give you an example out of sabc now you find that the reception and the frequencies have allowed english and africans to cover the entire country even under a cave you'll still listen to those two And in a village, you listen to those. Even places which do not even speak Africans, they still have that station as the clearest. But their own home language is not covered. And also the fact that people have migrated, are working in government offices in Pretoria and so forth, the coverage of languages in terms of frequency is still according to homelands. If you are vendor, you'll have to listen to it if you are in vendor and so forth. So more has to be done by government entities as well. 
And if you've just joined us on the Forum Update this morning, we are asking, does our constitution reflect us as a people? And the lines are open, 891 You can tweet us on AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo or send us an SMS to 34701. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. <laughs> Well, we're talking about the Constitution this morning on the Forum at 8, and we are asking you, does our Constitution reflect us? Does it say who we are as South Africans? And we're in conversation with Professor Somatota Fikeni and Jay Naidu. And, you know, you look at the Bill of Rights. Uh, Dr. Fikeni was talking about um, the emphasis on human rights and how it uh, simply takes into account first-generation rights. Second- and third-generation rights, as Jay was saying to me off-air, you look at everything that is going on around us. All South Africans have a right to access uh, to sufficient food and water, yet 12 million people in this country go hungry. You have a right to access to health care and health services, and yet people are dying in our hospitals waiting for service. And we can go on and on and on. I don't have to tell you, you know the story. But uh, let's go to the lines and take some uh, comments from our listeners. 0891 um, 0891104208, that's the number. Taki in Vembe. Thanks for holding, Taki. Yes, morning, Sakina. Uh, my input here is that I very much think that the Constitution ideally uh, reflects us as the people of South Africa. But on the ground, it's a totally different uh, story. Um, perhaps I should also like to put this in the form of a question to your panel uh, to say that the institutions, particularly Chapter 9 institutions, which are, are put there to ensure that um, the democracy, constitutional democracy and rights are entrenched, are they still intact? And the questions that everyone would want to ask oneself is, and then what do we do under the circumstances? Is there a need perhaps to address contradictions and misconceptions uh, regarding these institutions. Okay. Thank you, uh, Thank you so much, Taki. Uh, Faisal in Mayfair, good morning. Hi, Sakina. Hi. Hi, Sakina. Sakina, I think, you know, we have the greatest constitution in the world. And to me, this, this great constitution we have is a product of chance. A chance that uh, at a particular time in our, in our history, leaders from both sides of the spectrum decided on a new cause uh, for... for for the destiny of, of our country, uh, but you know, but the, the sad part of this of uh, of our of way we sit at the moment is that we have a government that uh, that uh, that doesn't implement the constitution. I mean, if we have such a great constitution, why doesn't it want, why doesn't it refuse to export our constitution to other parts of Africa as well? Why doesn't it encourage other other African nations to say, "Hang on, we have this, this wonderful constitution that we that that, that we live by." Why, 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 why don't they also try, try and emulate our great constitution as well? Especially come when it comes to, for example, uh, homosexual rights and, and, uh, and the rights for sexual orientation in, to the rest of Africa. Uh, we, we, seem, we seem to have our government shrugging off its duty to, 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 tell, to, uh, to tell other African nations that the, what, what the, how they are practicing their, their particular laws in regards to this human rights is totally wrong. All right, thank you so much, uh, Faisal. And um, I actually want to get a quick response uh, before we even get to the news with regard to what uh, Taki and Faisal have raised. Jay, let me start with you. Um, 
a need to perhaps address the contradictions in our constitution. Uh, Taki raises that one. What's your take on that? Well, I, I think Taki raised the very important thing that in the constitutional negotiations, what we sought to do was to create a set of checks and balances. The Chapter 9 institutions are there to be a check and balance on executive power. So is the parliament, so is the judiciary. And we created a set of institutions that would make sure that they would represent the will of the people in case there was a government that did not do what it was mandated legally by the constitution to do. And we created it very carefully. There was tremendous debate about this. I think there's one thing where we made, in hindsight, an error. is the process of how we appoint those that run these institutions. Because at the end of the day, the institution is as good as the person appointed to run it. And what I see beginning to happen is that process of the appointment of independent uh, strong-willed, dedicated people to these institutions we are having a problem with. And the pu- processes of appointing them are not as transparent and as public as they should be. So if there needs to be a constitutional review, it has to be about the process to ensure greater accountability and transparency in the way the heads of these institutions are, 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 are appointed and a greater focus on how they can be even more independent of the executive itself. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. You're listening to The Forum at 8, speaking to Jay Naidu and Professor Soma Dota Fikeni. And this morning we are asking, does our constitution reflect who we are as a people. And uh, the lines are open. I'll come back to them in just a moment. I just want to acknowledge the SMSs and the tweets that are coming through. Let me read through a few of them. Props in Kruenstadt says, Our constitution is regarded as the best in the world, especially the West, because it safeguards the privileges of those who benefited previously. It must redress the land issue to be the, to really be the best. Joe in Peter Maritzburg says, May I ask a question from your guests? Was the reconstruction and development uh, which was dumped unconstitutional? Liz in Durban says it should be emphasized that with rights come responsibility. And Mike says, I disagree with the doctor. The main reason is to take God out of the equation and impose a demonic human rights constitution. Kosipi um, in Peter Maritzburg also sends an SMS saying, Jay Naidu can agree with me that this constitution was a compromise document for a short period of of time for the new government to neutralize society but it becomes a problem because the government feared to change those things that rob us of freedoms like property rights anonymous uh, teacher says what is the meaning of the constitution when learners in the eastern cape sit without teachers for eight months and Kosi uh, in pe says Whose democracy are we talking about? This constitution protects the interest of the invaders that Mandela and the ANC agreed to. We, as the PAC, warned that the property clause is no different from the Land Act of 1913 and your panel is not balanced. And of course, we're never going to win the balance issue on the panel. So it's something that we're going to live with. But of course, you have an opportunity to express certain views that perhaps you may feel are not coming across. And I appreciate you. 
you sending that. Mavis says, nothing is working in South Africa and the meltdown can be attributed to our godless best constitution. And uh, this one from Marcus in Port Elizabeth says, the shortcoming with the constitution is criminals having voting rights. How can irresponsible citizens be allowed a vote? Criminals are electing criminals to rule, rob and plunder this country. The country will continue to slide into anarchy for as long as criminals are allowed to elect. And finally, this one from Elliot uh, from Vidbank says, Going down a slippery slope, imagine then the road to hell being paved by a group of fundamentalists. Goodbye to our civil liberties. And there are many, many others coming through um, on Twitter as well. Uh, Guta saying... White supremacist system of the ANC government is protected through the very same constitution. Uh, Africa Bantu says, why do we have social and economic ills in society if we have the best constitution in the world? Mjabulam Tombeni, it is the very same constitution that says people shall govern. uh, But what governs today? Money governs, not the people. Tapelo Motumi says the constitution should evolve with times to reflect societal changes. Every household should have this crucial document. And Zweli Banzi Matlangu, our constitution reflects a world uh, that ought to be, despite our diversity, its unequal uh, coexistence. And uh, many others coming through. Spivo says, look at how our, how our president fiddles with the constitution to topple those kings, such as Buyele Kaya. He doesn't, uh, the kings he doesn't agree with. And many, many more coming through. Uh, is the public protector overstepping her mark or is she simply being undermined by the government with regard to what you were saying earlier, Jay? And of course, let me park all of the SMSs and tweets. We could go on for days, but let me get a response. Um, Professor Fikeni, also, uh, while you're responding to what you've just heard, before the break, we spoke to Faisal, and he spoke about government and the fact that government doesn't follow the Constitution and also the issue of sexual rights and our responsibility. Well, I do think that uh, the one part where I think it was quite problematic was to say that why doesn't South Africa export this constitutional values and the outlook into the other African countries. I think there are limitations to that. You still have 54 or so countries in the continent, and they are sovereign states. The only way you can infuse such values is simply to go to the AU and promote certain values in the AU Charter. Uh, which I think South Africa has been doing. And the second aspect is that some of these constitutional provisions have to be contextualized within the context of each country. For example, in other countries, you'll find that uh, you have more than 200 languages being spoken, some by very small groups, some by bigger groups, and so forth. So there are many things that countries can take out of the South African Constitution, which I think many have, Uh, but there are many things which need a context in those countries. But on the issue of religion, I do think that it was a wise thing for the Constitution to remain secular instead of infusing God uh, as such, whilst respecting the religions. 
I do think that we should also be mindful of the fact that you have multiplicity of faiths or religions. If you put a God who is Christian God, then the person who is Hindu uh, may not be amused, the person who is Muslim and so forth. And that in itself, in creating a secular state, I think has to be taken into account. And uh, there are many other aspects which were raised here on the Chapter 9 institutions. I think I reinforce the point that Jay raised, that the mechanisms of appointing those entities, of resourcing those entities, and therefore having checks and balances is very important. It has become very clear now that depending on the type of a leader, or collection of leaders. A Chapter 9 institution can rise in its stature or can fall. Mm. Of course, Chapter 9 institutions, knowing that they are independent and autonomous, must also be very careful not to be seen to be encroaching into any political space because once they get into that slippery slope, it's very difficult to climb back. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jay, just before I go to calls? <clears throat> well, I, you know, uh, Professor Figueni is absolutely right. I think the most important decision, given what is happening in the world today, take Iraq or take many parts of the world, the, the role that religion is playing in, in, in actually causing wars. You know, I think that religion is a private matter between an individual and the God that they have. And therefore, I am absolutely committed and and believe, like the rest of the ANC, that religion and the state should be separated. That's what makes democracy work. The same thing with sexual preferences and sexual orientation. I think I would go one step further than Professor Fikeni and say, you know, while we should campaign and lobby within the, the AU Charter, I think that there is a way in which we can start to raise our voice about issues that we feel very strongly are part of a human rights culture. If that's in our constitution, then we have an obligation to stand up and say, this is our view. I cannot tell you, Museveni, that an anti-homophobic law is wrong or right, but what you should do as a country, but I can say that it is inconsistent with our vision of a human rights culture. And so I think there can be a more proactive way, and I find that South Africa is really shirking its responsibilities in taking up these issues because it's perceived as too difficult, whether it's in relation to trade union rights in Swaziland or Zimbabwe or the attacks on gays in, in Uganda or whether it's the continuing attacks against civil society organizations across Africa mm-hmm. and the space now that is closing down. But people would say we can't get it right right here at home, Jay. But l- yeah. let me take callers and I'll come back to that. Uh, Hel- Helene in uh, Durban, good morning. Uh, good morning to you. Um, I would like to comment on uh, the issue of the Constitution and the contradictions that we are hearing this morning. Continue. Um, with regards to the South African Constitution being the best in the world, uh, I-, I would like to uh, uh, say that as far as I am concerned, when that Constitution was drawn, there was a necessity for us to have such a constitution, taking us from a harsh regime into a new democracy. I think it was necessary. Now it's time to look back 20 years 
and see where we were then and where we've come to and ask ourselves, is it not time for us to review it? When we're talking about crime, we are saying it is fine, the, the, the perpetrator has rights, but what about the victims, the many, many victims that we have in South Africa? Take a hijacking, for example, where a person is hijacked, held at gunpoint, and is murdered for a vehicle. The perpetrator goes to jail for a few years and comes out. The rights of that person has been contravened, but the perpetrator's rights are upheld by our Constitution. And then we talk about the justice system or justice being uh, expensive. Why is it expensive? Is it the argument, the legal argument that comes at an expense? I will say, yes, it does, but why? Why is it that the victim is always the person that gets the best uh, uh, possible legal uh, uh, support? All right. Thank you so much, Helene in Durban. Uh, Njanulu in Midrand, good morning. It's Njabulo. Thank you, Fatima. Hi, Njabulo. Apologies for that. Not a problem. Look, I, I, I think we, it, it's important for us to, to separate the two, two things here. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there is a great deal of consensus, except the economic and the property clauses that are in the Constitution, amongst South Africans that the Constitution is quite a good uh, a document. One. Two, um, if, if it, it, it reflects our will as a people, it may not necessarily be what is happening on the ground. For instance, it may guarantee us, um, you know, rights to shelter, rights to education, rights to, to food and all of those things. But in, in, in terms of the capability of the state to be able to deliver those things, it may not be the same. So to answer your question, the Constitution may be a, a good document reflective of our wishes as the, as the people, but it may not necessarily be what is happening on the ground. Thank you so much, Njabulo. And Neil in Vidbank, good morning. Morning, Fikina. Hi, Neil. And morning to your guests over there. And a special morning to Comrade Jay. Fikina, you know, I, I, I think when the Constitution was written 20 years ago, the men who sat and wrote that Constitution had very different values to the men of today that are in government. And I'll tell you why. is because if you look at the old guard, and I call them the old guard like the, the Jane Idol, the... Uh, 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 um, and all the other guys, the Tabo Mbekis, the Ronnie Cassidy's, you look at the chief negotiator of that time was Cyril Ramaphosa. And he's a capitalist now. And, and, and as we speak, he's going to be in the Marikana Commission this morning for something that he has done. Uh, I think the values of the people that are governing this country today uh, have a very, very different set of principles and values as the men of yesterday. And I think that is where our problem is. And, and also in the, in, the, in the Chapter 9 institutions, we have a strong woman like Turi, a very strong woman. But the number one citizen of this country hasn't responded as yet to her findings. Now, if it's, if it's wrong at the top, come on, Sakina, it's wrong right through this country. You okay. understand? I got you. You cannot govern, say one thing, and do another. Got you there. Thank you so Sakina. much, uh, Neil. I, I got the gist of uh, what you're trying to say there. Uh, Tumahole and Guguletu, good morning. Uh, good morning, Sakina. I didn't hear the laugh or the cough. Of Ramatibela, you know, this morning. <laughs> I'll tell him to laugh tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sakina. Sakina, Mike has said it. 
we say our constitution, if it was based on the will of God, our constitution and our will should have been well. We think of our will instead of God's will. We say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And heaven's will is that it protects me against you, it protects you against me, and even my property and your property. That is the problem. All right, let me end by saying, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Mm. Hear God and keep his Ten Commandments, for this is the duty, not the right, the duty of men, for there is judgment. But before you go tomorrow, so what happens to those people who do not subscribe uh, to any religious doctrine? What, What do we do with them? Those people think so, but if you steal from them, they'll go to the police to have you arrested. And it is God's commandment that says, God shall not steal or even spoil his name. <laughs> Thank you, Sakina. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tumaole. And one last one before I get back to the panel. Mike in Durban, good morning. And good morning to you and everyone. I'd like to put this question to Jay Naidu. Jay, is the ANC the majority party in South Africa? Yes or no? It is the ruling party in South Africa, absolutely. Uh, Jay, in the last election, out of the registered voters, the ANC only got 36.39% of the vote. That's not the majority party in this country. Now, if we had to call for a, uh, a referendum on the death penalty, uh, I'm sure the people that are for the death penalty would get it. But what does that have to I'm do with the ANC? The these, are, these are factual figures. Eh? But, but, but if you talk about uh, an issue such as the death penalty, Mike, what would that have to do with the African National Congress? Because I don't think no, no, when someone, you're looking at an someone, issue like that, people would be voting along party no, lines. But, Sakina, can yeah. I just respond to it? I mean, the fact yeah. that you're raising... About the, the fact that no, this, was raised wait, this morning. Can I just respond to your, to your issue? You said that there is an issue that should concern every single one of us. Mm-hmm. That of the almost 31 million people that are eligible to vote, only 25 million or so registered to vote and only 18 million actually voted. Mm-hmm. That is a statistic that should absolutely be staring us in the face and asking, we should be asking the question, why did so many people not exercise their constitutional right to, to participate in an election? I think that's a legitimate question. Perhaps it's because it's their right not no, to. It's they their chose right not, not to. to. Oh, be, oh, and that's why we need to in, you know, to delve deeper into that is that they are not believing that the democratic process does not is not meaningful enough for them in their own minds. Is it mainly young people? The sociology of that, I think, is a fundamentally important political debate for us to have in this country, not just the ANC. Every single one of us. Mm. Uh, Professor Fikini, on that point that Mike raises, uh, the issue of uh, a referendum, for example, because. The ANC 
as far as I can remember, as the majority um, party in parliament, you know, whenever you speak about this issue of a referendum, it's almost like a swear word. You shouldn't mention it. And let's just talk about that in the context of the Constitution and what it reflects. Well, the one danger with the referendum is that once you start it, you never stop it because people will always demand it. For example, if tomorrow people woke up and said, we have too much of tax burden, we need a referendum on whether to pay tax or not, and the referendum came overwhelmingly saying, let's stop paying tax, then that's the end of the state itself. (laughs) <laughs> so, to that extent... <laughs> but I isn't think, that democracy? If the people say we it, don't want to pay tax... <laughs> in fact, if tomorrow you were to say, let's vote on the names of the streets nationally, you may find that smaller groups would be wiped out completely. So, democracy and constitution celebrates the voice of the majority But that has to be checked against the fundamental values of the society, as Jay articulated so well. Remember that if you take a majoritarian stance to its logical conclusion, do you know that Hitler and Nazi did not overthrow any government? They won through an election. Mm -hmm. Then they turned Germany upside down into what became the sky. So a crude majoritarian rule has those dangers. It should be very sensitive to the voice of the majority, but guided by principles. That is what I think is most fundamental here. Uh, Does that mean that there's no place for a referendum? There is a place for a referendum, but you rarely go that route Uh, in the same manner as changing the Constitution. Constitution for it to be respected is not something that you change like a bylaw of some municipality every year. When you feel like it's Mm. going to inconvenience you, you go back and say, change that clause. You find that it is crafted in such a flexible manner that if you wanted to transform and have historical redress, it's within the Constitution. Only those aspects of the Constitution that make such a transition or transformation impossible should then be addressed by the nation, and you could even go either for a vote in Parliament or a referendum. But a referendum is not something that you would ordinarily do all the time. Going back to what Helene and also Njabula raised about uh, review of the Constitution, um, the issue of property rights is a critical one in South Africa, and I see many people are raising it, and both of them raised it, along with the issue of crime as well and how we deal with that in South Africa today. Jay? Well, you know, I I think that, uh, you know, South Africa is... We must understand the context. We've had 100 years of dispossession in this country that forced people to go and work in the mines. And so if you had to go into a township today or go into any area, even the rural areas, and say, what is the priority in your life? The number one priority in most cases will be, I want a job. I want a house. I want education for my children. I want health for my children. Maybe the issue of land will come then. 
third, fourth, fifth, whatever. So you know, this is different from many other countries. Now, how do we... But land is an asset. Mm-hmm. The thing of... The, the, we were undertook that we would have redistributed 30% of the land. We've up to 80%. The question we have to ask ourselves, how do we take this asset and address its fundamental rethinking of how to use that asset to create livelihoods and to enable to address the legacy of injustice because that has not been done. The Constitution is very clear on it. Mm-hmm. And it says there in the Constitution that, that property may be appropriated only in terms of a law of general application for a, political pu- for a public purpose or in the public interest. And it's subjected to, uh, to compensation that can be decided either through a political negotiation, which I haven't seen happen up to now, or through a court of law, like the Constitutional Court. But people are saying the crafters of uh, the drafters of the Constitution, so, this is where they sold out, Jay. They're no, saying that they want land. They don't want it in the fourth and the fifth generation. They want it yes, now. Yeah, and I agree that we should address this thing as a matter of urgency. I think that we've created a polarized debate. We should bring farmers into the, into the discussion and say, if you own a thousand hectares of land, which is what the Minister of Rural Development is saying, isn't it in your own interest to set aside part of the land to support the people that have been living on the land and working for you for generations and pro- make them successful smallholder farmers so that they are part of the system of understanding land as an mm. asset rather than ending up with this becoming a, a administrative blunt instrument or going to a court. There needs to be the political will, not necessarily on the side of government, but on the side of people that own the land today. And the, the Constitution is very clear that we have to look at the current use of property. I think okay. that land is a We're going to have to park it there. And we, oh, it's going crazy, but we unfortunately are out of time and we haven't answered so many of these questions. So I'm looking at the team. We'll go back. We'll sit down. We'll take a decision as to whether we continue, uh, be it tomorrow or at a later stage, because I think these are fundamental questions that need to be answered. The values of our leaders today and what they are doing in terms of actually upholding the values enshrined in the Constitution and how that impacts on what is people's lived reality. Well, uh, Dr. Somatota Fikeni, Jay Naidu, thanks so much for your time this morning. And of course, as always, to our fantastic listeners for weighing in so enthusiastically and the production team for making sure it all comes together. It's now. Nine o'clock, it's time for the latest news with Vabakshni Chetty.